Okay, you're still alive. I, uh, I was going to ask, uh, I know I got several elders that are out today, uh, Ron and Wendy and uh, different ones are out, but, but the ones I do have, Ken, would you come, Clem, and, and uh, Ivory, come on, Mama, come with us. Uh, Pastor Johanna, I want you to come up front. We need to have a meeting with you. <laughs> she don't have a clue. Come on up here, Jill. Come here, darling. Come right here. We're calling you on the carpet. In a good way. You know what last Wednesday was? It was National Secretary Administrator Day. <laughs> <laughs> and what that, what that does is gives us an opportunity, and me especially, to tell you if I can do this without crying, how much you mean to me personally, to Jill, to these elders, and to this whole congregation called Grace Point. We, <laughs> this woman here, no joke, no kidding. If you want to know why this church is here, why it still functions, why the doors are open, why things happen when they happen, it's all her. It's none of me, it's all of her. And uh, it, we couldn't even do this, I'm serious, without this woman. Uh, and I'm not trying to overinflate her value or importance, I'm just trying to state a fact, man. And all these years I've been here, uh, uh, I don't know how many years, this, it's been a long time, but she has served uh, this house, served me faithfully. You've been my buddy, my friend, uh, my sounding board. My personnel listen to me speak doubt and still love me. <laughs> and you just mean the world to, to me and to this church. And, and uh, so we just want, we ain't no way I can give you anything that come close to what you deserve. There's a couple hundred dollars of uh, gift cards, and then there's a $50 if we make Alan take you out to a nice uh, restaurant. <laughs> and, uh, and we love you so much. Amen. Y'all bless her. Amen. 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 I'm going to let you be seated. Give her one more blessing. Round of applause. We love her so much. Man, she means the world to me in this house. And, uh, if she ever quits, then I'm going to quit right behind her. I just don't. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you for being here today. I'm going to let you be seated. I'm going to start off a little bit different this morning. I'm, in other words, I'm not just going to read a... I know you, as a preacher, you're supposed to read a verse to make it an official sermon. But, uh, man, we had such a wonderful uh, service last Sunday. And uh, it, it was just awesome. Dr. Phil, could you come up here? Can I put you on the spot? He don't know either. He sent me the most wonderful little testimony. I don't know if, how much of that you want to give. Do you need, you need to read my, your message you sent to me? No, you got it. And I just want to say about this guy here, and you can throw a blurb in if you want to. This is one of them. This is a preaching little machine, uh, prison ministry. 
uh, Kairos and prison ministry and just uh, he was just sharing with me the other day they had uh, going to the to the to the uh, jail and minister to minister in the prison and just actually about two different confirmations that man God so appreciates and loves you guys going in there and doing that so why don't you tell them about that too and then tell them what happened last Sunday with sure. in the service yes sir good evening grace or good morning grace point Amen. You know, um, this morning was kind of special. You know, a few weeks, or actually a few months ago, I had uh, interrupted the service, and pastor didn't kick me out afterwards. And, and it was all about uh, John 3.16. And uh, I was in uh, the county jail. I go there uh, Sunday mornings and tell them about Jesus. Amen? And um, so, um, actually... The man I was talking to, his mom had called, and he was going through all kinds of stuff, and she actually gave him a, a scripture to read, and it was a scripture that I was reading, and it was John 3.16. So this morning, I was ministering and talking to, to these guys about Jesus, and um, the guy opened the Bible up, and you know where he opened the Bible up, and it was... John 3.16, for God so loved us, amen? And uh, they, were, uh, they were very attentive and everything. So God is working in the jails. God is working in the prison. These guys, uh, we've got to feed them Jesus. When they get out, oh, they got to know something positive and change the way they're thinking, amen? So... With that being said, um, last week was pretty special. We had our visitors. My neighbor and his wife came, and their young couple. And uh, it was so powerful, wasn't it? I know everybody here got something out of that. Amen? Everyone got something. Everybody was blessed. So... To make a long story short, we were walking out, and we are going through the hallway, and I just felt God in just giving me the presence of walking on a cloud of what Pastor had brought and what the Holy Spirit had brought to all of us. And we were walking along, and I'm going, wow, this is pretty cool. And everything was going on. And then when we got outside... I turned to Johnny, my neighbor, this young couple, 25 years old, going through all kinds of stuff in their life, as we all do, and I turned to him, and he turned to me, and he says, man, I'm walking on a cloud. I'm going, woo, yeah, we're walking on a cloud together. <laughs> okay, okay, enough of this, sorry. I'm getting, we get a little excited about Jesus here, don't we? And we get a little excited in the jail, too. I have pulled no punches. I tell them I'm a crazy old ex-hippie from, from way back when. Now I'm high on Jesus. Amen? <laughs> Amen? Come on, a lot of you have relate to that. I know you do. <laughs> so anyway, we were both walking on the cloud, and we all had a big group hug. We all grouped together, this young couple of, that we enjoying and our neighbors and we're loving and they're coming to church so I ask you to invite somebody to church they might just say yes 
And they might be blessed like the people that were blessed last week, right? Come on. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Thank you, brother, man. Amen. Can you imagine him in the jail on early Sunday morning? He's, what a blessing. What a blessing. You know, most of us, uh, the title that I'm doing today is, and uh, uh, you won't understand it, but in what, you know, what uh, does God do? And what does God do? That's kind of a, maybe an unusual title. You're going to understand it as we go along because I'm going to repeat that phrase several times. Um, most of us that were that did have an opportunity uh, and the privilege, really, to grow up in church, uh, most of you probably, like me, grew up uh, with a different version or understanding or image of God than we now have today by grace. And we're all learning. We're all growing. Nobody's arrived at the pinnacle, uh, including me, of course. But I have been at this journey a long, long time, and God has given us the Holy Spirit who is leading and guiding us into all truth. Um, you know, Pastor Honor sent me an email this week, and I have no idea that people could even be here. Uh, I have, you know, I don't know who, you know, who they are or whatever, but, but I, I, they had, this person sent a, uh, just asking questions about that I had made a statement about forgiveness, you know, and that we didn't you know, have to confess our sins. Uh, to, in order to be forgiven. And I know that sounds like heresy if you've never heard that before because you grew up uh, with them beating daylights out of you out of one verse out of 1 John uh, that seems to say that. And, uh, but uh, it's, that's not what the Bible teaches in the New Testament at all. Uh, and I don't want to get on that because I can go on that whole trail and just talk about that. But, but I, my point is, I get it when you don't, when you hear statements and it goes against what you've, the traditional whatever. Now, most, the, the version of the gospel that we all grew up with, uh, which you don't know that unless you've studied theology, is not, a, not an old ancient belief. It's, it's, a, it's a fairly new theology that only began 500 years ago. So when people call me or say, you know, not that I've ever had anybody uh, verbatim do that, but if somebody says, well, you're a heretic or, you, you know, you believe heresy, uh, you, you're the one that's believing something that's recent. Uh, you're not believing orthodox. The, the, when I say orthodox, I mean what the apostles taught, what they believed, and what they handed over uh, to the church, and what the church believed, and the apostles' creed, and the Nicene creed, and what they wrote down in the early first century, first few hundred years church, and said, this is what we believe that the gospel is. And it's the gospel of grace that the apostle Paul preached. And, uh, but then, so we come, you know, 500 years ago, then we get a new theology that basically uh, came out of Calvinism. And not that he was a bad guy or, or you know, uh, but he had some things uh, wrong and you get substitution, penal, uh, substitutionary atonement, which the word atonement, and, and that understanding is more of Jesus came to try to appease an angry father, an angry God, and uh, to keep him from killing us. And uh, Jesus basically came to save us from God and from his wrath and his vengeance and all that, and Jesus bore uh, the brunt of all that on our behalf so that we don't have to. And that's mainly the version. The version that we grew up on was more of a legalistic model, where God is not a father, he's a judge. 
and you're threatened with all kind of stuff and you're going to stand before God. He's going to judge you or whatever. Uh, and we just don't understand a lot of terminologies uh, in the church. The word repent, the average Christian, you know this, you've heard me say it a hundred times. If you come here, the word repent, most people think that means lay on your face, tell God how sorry you are, right? You know, where you're repenting, you're confessing your sins, you're telling God how sorry. That's not even what the word means. And we just show our ignorance, and people really display a lot of ignorance on Facebook, social media. And, and, and I saw a post yesterday where people are, you know, they're, they're always warning you to be, a, you know, be warning you, you know, don't be deceived. And, warn, and so they got far more confidence in the devil than they do in the Holy Spirit, those people. Because the Bible said God gave you the Holy Spirit, which will lead and guide you into all truth. But you don't believe he'll do that, so you've got to be afraid. Because you you got more confidence and faith in the Satan than you do in Satan's ability to deceive you than you do in the Holy Spirit's ability to lead you in the truth. Hello, good morning. We're glad you're here. That went down good, didn't it? And uh, but that's just the truth. Uh, you, you see all this ridiculous uh, things, you know, that people uh, believe, and that's why I wrote a book uh, that's called "Myths Heard in Church," because uh, that's where I heard them. Myths. In church. Now, just because you hear it in church don't mean it's real. Don't mean it's true, right? And you'll get that, but, but I understand people's, uh, you know, trepidation and, and you know, uh, I understand all that. Um, and so I have a lot of mercy and grace for, for people that, because, you know, you can hear a lie. If you hear a lie 50 times, before long you'll think it's the truth. And... Uh, but the word repent is the Greek word translated in English. Repent is the Greek word metanoia, which means change the way you think. And so when Jesus was saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's, saying, he's not saying fall on your face and cry and tell me all the sins you've done. He's saying change the way you think because you, you're thinking wrong. You've got a wrong view. And uh, the word confess, you know, if you say confess to the average American person, the first thing that hits their mind is sin, Right? Confess to the priest, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. The word confess just seems like sin goes with it, but it doesn't. The word confess is, is a Greek word, uh, homologos, homologo. Homo means same kind. If a person's homosexual, they're same kind. You got it? Logos is the word of God. So the literal word confess in the New Testament means this, to, to say the same thing, same kind, that the word of God says. In other words, say what God says. What you do is you confess and you agree with God. Confessing, the word confess means to agree with God. So you got Romans 10, and I've never met a Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Nazarene, Tangerine, Church of God, Assembly of God, or Catholic, or anybody else that did not agree that Romans 10 tells people how to be saved. The whole chapter. And guess what? The word sin's not mentioned at all. Boy, somebody screwed up, didn't he? Because that's not how people get saved in the American church. Because they say the sinner's prayer to get saved. They got to say the magic prayer, right? And how do you know if you said it right? And how do you know if the guy that led you didn't say in the prayer led you in the right? First off, let's agree on this, that the sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. So we can throw that whole deal out. You're not saved by confessing sins. That don't save nobody. You couldn't do with nothing with your sin. That's why Jesus came. 
And you either believe that he came and did what he came to do, which was take away the sin of the world, or you don't. And if he didn't take away the sin of the world, then we're all sitting here lost waiting on you to come back and do it again. And get us in the pile. But Jesus said, and he wasn't lying, it's finished, and he took away the sin of the world. He did. And so, I need to get on my sermon, but... But the version that we grew up under was more of a courtroom legal version. God's the judge. Jesus is my lawyer, my advocate. Satan is the prosecuting attorney. Uh, and so sin is not, sin is something that is, is against God in his holy and righteousness, and it must be punished. It cannot just be forgiven. It can't just be forgiven, it has to be punished in order to be forgiven, which makes it not grace, it makes it an exchange and a transaction and a payment. If I won't forgive you until I beat you first, and you have to agree to the beating, then you're paying me for your sin. And once you've paid the debt of sin, then I forgive you. Listen, dude, that ain't grace. And that's not the Bible. And so we see that all through the scripture. Um, it's just not. And it's taken me all of my life. Because I really only came into the, to the light of day really about now, I'm going to say 12, 15 years ago. I didn't really start preaching it hard until about 10 years ago. Because I don't care no more. <laughs> In fact, I do care. That's why I'm just going. I'm just going to preach it because that's what Paul preached. You know, all Paul wrote more to the Bible than anybody. He never mentioned hell one time. Wonder why that is. John never mentioned it. Peter never mentioned. It. Hmm. That's another subject for another day. And yet people are trying to scare you in heaven by dangling you over hell. I guess Jesus ain't good enough by himself. Got to have some incentive program. I guess he ain't good enough by himself. In that legal model, sin is something that's got to be punished. It can't just be forgiven. The model that I now believe in, that I see clearly in Scripture, is more of a uh, therapeutic model that sees God not primarily as our judge but as our father it doesn't see sin as something that needs to be punished it sees sin as a fatal disease that's killing everybody it's fatal and what we need is not a judge but a great physician that will heal us of our terminal disease called sin because the legal model don't work because you can't beat a fever out of a baby and you can't lock somebody up in jail and punish cancer out of them. They need healing, not a, uh, a, a punitive God. They need healing. And, uh, but most of us grew up with that former model and not the latter. And, uh, but 
So what God did is God puts man, he creates man in his own image, male and female, puts them in the garden to keep the garden, take care of the animals, to care for paradise. And don't think it was a small plot of ground. It was 1,500 miles square. And that was the size of paradise or the garden that God placed Adam and Eve in. And God put them in there to, to do those things and also that he would come in fellowship and walk with them in, in intimacy and, and relationship. And, uh, and then the unthinkable thing happens. Uh, they turn from God uh, to sin. And, uh, and, and when they do that, this unthinkable thing, they, they do that. And they had some help doing that, uh, you know, from a, from a snake at a tree, right? But when they turn from God and they turn to sin and they believe the lie, uh, when they do that, it plunges them into shame, guilt, darkness. And, uh, and so here comes our title, And What Does God Do? Now, what you grew up hearing is God so holy can't look at sin. What you grew up hearing was that God even turned his back on his own son, which that is a heretical heresy. Because for God to do that, that means the Trinity, one God in triune, would have to have been uh, 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 torn apart. And that Jesus somehow ceased to be God while he was on the cross. It's ridiculous heresy. And we get that from a lot of things because we misunderstand some passages in the scripture. And we don't read but one verse and then we build a doctrine. Uh, Psalm 22 starts off, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Jesus said that on the cross because as a human he's experiencing that aspect of everything. But if you keep reading in Psalm 22 that depicts and prophesies the crucifixion in detail, it actually says in that psalm that God would not despise the one that was hanging on the cross, nor would he turn his face from him. And in fact, 2 Corinthians 5.19 said that God was in Christ while he was on the cross, reconciling the world unto himself. Notice it said that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God's not reconciling himself to the world because God never turned his back on the world. God never separated from the world and God has never forsaken you, not for one moment. And you've never been separated from God except by a false lie of religion that told you you were. Good morning. And so God come, what, so, and what does God do once man sins? If he's so holy he can't look at sin, why, don't, why does he even come then? Because he's looking at sinners now. He's not only looking at them, he's talking to them. And by the way, was Jesus God when he walked on the earth? Was he's, we got one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So do you not know that Jesus was God when he walked the earth? Do you not know that he ate with sinners, hung out with sinners? So that's God hanging with sin, folks. I mean, come on, somebody. How we ever swallowed that lie that God so holy can't look at sin is just dumbness, blindness of religion. And what does God do when Adam and Eve sin? He comes into the garden and he comes looking for them. Adam, where are you? Uh, I'm hiding. Who you hiding from? From you. God says, what's that you got on your genitals? Oh, uh, that's fig leaves, God. I sewed, we sewed them into clothes and fig leaf clothes. Hmm. Why'd you do that? Because uh, we were naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Who told you that you were separated from God? 
Who told you? Who told you that you're not going to make it? Who told you that you was always going to be an addict? Who told you you'd never find a husband? Who told you you'd never be married? Who told you you'd always be broke? Come on now, boy. I could. So you got to be listening to who's who you listening to. You got to watch that. God said you, you. Somebody had to just enforce that to you and tell you. And so when they when they God says, "Who told you you were naked?" And what and what does God do from that point? God says, uh, "I can do better than fig leaf clothing." So I'm going to cover you. Mine will be better than that. So I'm going to clothe you with this. And then it said, and then God, the, the punitive, the, the legal version, I was told that God was angry and he kicked them out of the garden. That's what we were told in church. He, God got angry. He's mad. He's being punitive. And he puts them out. Y'all blew it. You sinned. Get out. That was how I saw God from a little boy all my life growing up in church. God got mad. He kicked them out. They blew it and kicked out. I mean, I used to hear preachers say, you know, they, they got kicked out, and now they're on the other side of the, of the rivers, you know, and, and don't have nothing nice anymore. And, and Adam and Eve have the kids, you know, and the, the boys stand there one day, and they're talking to their daddy, Adam, and, they, and the boys see way off in the distance this place called Paradise, and they're like, Daddy, what's that place? And he said, well, that's where we used to live till your mama eat us out of house and home. <laughs> Sorry, ladies, I don't believe that, but. But I heard that joke a lot in church growing up. Preachers would tell that often. And they would say, if it wasn't for you women, we'd all still be naked, naming bugs, and eating grapefruit. <laughs> and they carry that kind of a grudge. The, see, we, we think, and I thought, that Adam was across town doing some shopping when Eve and all that went down. That's the way the preachers made me think. Eve there by herself, he left her at home, she screwed up. Come home, look at him. We got, got the devil loose. No, it says Eve gave to the man with her. With her. He just like a lot of men, he just sitting there ain't saying nothing. Listen, when the snake's talking to your wife, you need to speak up. You're going to have to say, whoa, him now. How big a boy are you? <laughs> anyway, I'm about to go roll a D on you. If you don't know what it is, don't Google it. And what does God do? God clothes them. And what does God do about the dilemma that now themselves, because when Adam and Eve ate, we are in Adam, and it throwed all of creation and all of humanity into futility and death. Because God had warned them and told them in a protective sense, not in a, here's a rule, let's see if you can keep it, but don't, the day you eat of this tree, you believe this lie, and, and you try to make it on the knowledge of good and evil instead of life, which is me, then you're going to die that day because you're choosing death over life. Don't do it. When a parent tells their little kid, don't put your hand in the fan, it's not so we're going to see if they can keep the rules. It's like, I don't want your fingers cut off. I don't want you hurt. And so what does God do? God didn't kick them out of the garden. God led them out of the garden. It says in the Bible why he put them out of the garden, lest they stay there, eat of the tree of life, and stay in that eternal, perpetual state of shame, guilt, and, and dilemma they were in. And God said, my creation means too much to me. I'm not going to allow that to happen. And so God puts them out of the garden. And it says this, to keep the way to the tree of life. Not to keep them from it, but to keep the way so they would come back to the tree of life in a redeemed state. 
And so then we, we leave this story, and, and then we go, to, and they have kids, Cain and Abel, these twin boys, most believe twins. And, and so, uh, you know, Cain ain't real fond of Abel's worship style, and, uh, and he gets ill with him. And uh, about the way he's worshiping compared to the way uh, that, you know, that he does his worship, you know. And so Abel's offering animal sacrifices to God, and Cain's bringing tomatoes and cucumbers, and he can't, you know, he just don't like it. And God knows that's going on, so what, and what does God do? God comes down and talks to Cain. He gives him a little warning. He said, now why are your face sad, bro? What's wrong with you? And he said, your countenance is down. And he says, he says well, you know, my, my offering is this and that, and I don't like the way he's doing it. And he said, now listen, God told him, he said, now sin, and if you read your King James Version, you know, that's the version that Jesus toted around. But if you get the King James Version, it says that it, it, God, the first time sin is mentioned, it's mentioned as a person, not a verb, a noun. It's personified, and it uses the word he and him. And it said, he, sin, lieth at the door, and, and, and his desire, his desire is for you, and you have to overcome him. That's what sin is. See, the church don't even know what sin is. The, the, they think sin is something you do. No, sin is an entity, and you do because of sin. Anyway, so... So God warns him and says, sin laugh at the door, it's desirous for you, it wants to destroy you, don't let it do it, son. That's what God did. And God, you know, comes back later, and, 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 and Cain didn't uh, heed the warning or the care, and he murders his brother. Here, and, and what did God do? God comes and talks to him and says, uh, hey, buddy, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Ain't my daddy keep up with him? God said, I know what you did. I know you murdered him. And he said, yeah, now everybody's going to want to murder me now. And what does God do with this murderer, this first murderer? If he's dealing with him as a legal judge, he should murder him right there. But he doesn't do that. And what does God do? God says, I'm not going to let nobody murder you. I'm going to put a seal upon you so that you won't be killed because you're my son and I'm going to make a covenant with you, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm still going to bless you. That's, that's what God does. And then we go to a man now that has God's favor and promise, and his name's Abram, and he'll become Abraham. And God comes to him and his wife in their old age and says, I'm going to give you a miracle baby. He's going to be a child of promise, and through his seed, a great nation that cannot be numbered will come from, from his seed, from your seed. And uh, Abraham gets impatient uh, and he decides to take matters into his own hands. Or let me say it another way, to take another woman into his own bedchamber. And maybe because, I don't know why, he just maybe was impatient trying to help God out, or maybe it was because Sarah, his wife's Egyptian bond maidservant, had less wrinkles than Sarah and was a little perkier and looked a little sweeter. Y'all don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. But anyway, regardless of the reason, he takes her into his tent. He has relations with her, and she gets pregnant with not a child of the promise, but something of his own fleshly raising up. The baby is named Ishmael. And what does God do about all this? God comes and talks to him. Abraham begs God to let that boy be the child of promise. 
God said, that's not the miracle that I had planned for you, son. And I'm still going to give you a miracle baby just like I promised you. And when he's 100 and his wife is, is, is 90 or whatever she was, well past, here comes the child of promise, Isaac. His name means laughter because God gets the last laugh. And so what happens now, we got Ishmael, the older, 12 years older, now he's bullying and, 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 and you know, treating uh, Isaac rough. And, 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 you know, so you would think this judge God would just kick. So what does God do with Ishmael? God said, I'm going to bless you, Ishmael. And you're going to be the leader of 12 and raise up 12 princes. And you're going to be the, the, the father of a mighty nation. They're called the Palestinians, if you need to know. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to care for you because you're my son. Regardless. And so then we get to, to a man named Moses. God says, you're going to be my deliverer. And you're going to loose my people for 400 years of bondage as slaves in Egypt. You're going to be my guy. I'm, I'm going to use you mightily. And so Moses goes in there, and he's impatient, and he has an anger problem and rage. And he sees an Egyptian being uh, harsh and beating up on a Hebrew slave, one of his brethren. And he doesn't handle that well, and he kills that Egyptian, buries him in the sand. He thinks his crime is covered up, but news gets out, and Moses now flees for his life and lays low in the desert as a shepherd for 40 years. And what does God do with this violent, angry man? God comes looking for him. And God talks to him out of a bush. Weird way to communicate, but he had to get that boy's attention somehow or another. Because he's been 40 years, ain't talking to nothing but goats and sheep. He's 80 now. And, and God's people has had to stay in bondage for 30 more years than the prophets had actually prophesied they would be in bondage. The prophets in the Bible said they would be in bondage 400 years. In actuality, they were in bondage 430 years because a guy named Moses lost his temper and screwed things up and delayed it a little bit. What you do or don't do counts and affects people. And so now God speaks to him through the bush and says, I want you to go back and do what I sent you to do the first time. And uh, he says, I can't talk good, I stutter too bad. Well, I'm going to give you a brother speaker. Your brother's going to speak for you. And so now, any more problems you got? Well, I'm not powerful and strong. Well, put your hand inside your robe and pull it out. It's leprous. Oh, God. To put it back in and pull it out. It's clean. How's that for you? Well, I'm going, I, I need some real power. Well, take your staff that you've been walking around 40 years tending the sheep and go throw it on the ground. It became a serpent. God says, pick it up by the tail. And he grabs it by the tail. And he lifts it up and it becomes a staff again. God says, is that enough for you, buddy? Can you believe I'm with you now? Now head on in there to talk to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And ten plagues later, they're walking across on dry ground through the Red Sea into the promise of God. That's what God did. And now we get to a man named David. David is a great... King is going to be the royal lineage. Out of him will come the Messiah. 
And he says, I'm going to build a great kingdom. We're going to call it the kingdom of God. And you're going to sit on the throne and you're going to rule my people. It's going to be awesome. But David had an affinity for hot tubs. He liked hot tubs. Not just hot tubs. He liked girls in hot tubs. And there was a lady that David could see from his palace elevated view that liked to bathe on the roof of her home in her hot tub. And David did enjoy watching that channel. <clears throat> and David sent for her. I don't know how consensual this possibly could have even been. As king, women were property. She was married, by the way, to one of David's soldiers who were fighting for Israel. David takes her as his wife. She gets pregnant. He goes, oh my goodness, got to do something about this. Got to cover this up. I mean, I'm the king of Israel. I'm the king of the most powerful nation on the globe. I got to cover this up. So he has her husband. He says, y'all put him on the front lines in the battle. And when you get him on the front lines, y'all pull back and let him be killed. That's what happened. But it still got found out. It still got found out. And what does God do? God doesn't change his mind. That pregnant woman, uh, she, her son that David, that they conceived in pregnancy, died. Now, if you read your Bible carefully, it'll say the Lord struck him. God don't kill babies. Never has, never will. Well, it says he killed him. He's, no, he didn't. It says he struck him. He didn't strike him. You got to understand that there's a progressive understanding of, of men as they wrote the scriptures, moved by the Holy Spirit, but their understanding of God was blurred. Nobody saw God as Father till Jesus came. And I can show you verses in your Bible that will say in Kings that, that God moved on David when he was king to number his army, and then God punished him for it. God didn't do that. And then in 1 Chronicles, I can show you where the scripture says Satan moved on David. To number the army. And it brought great problems. Who was it? Was it God or Satan? It wasn't God. But everybody in the old, they thought everything that happened was God's fault. That's what a lot of people do today. And that's why they run around hollering, God's in control. God ain't in control. Are you kidding me? You see murders and rapes and suicide? You think God's in control of that? God's in charge, but he ain't in control. He gave the earth to us. We the ones that's messing it up. You're a free moral agent. You can choose. You can kill people. You can bless people. You can love people. I mean, it's, you, it's ridiculous. By the way, that's the first chapter in my book if you want to get it. That always blesses people. I thought God was in control. No, he ain't. He is a heaven, but not of this earth. The Bible says in Psalm 115, for the earth he has given, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to the sons of men. That's why he gave it to Adam, and Adam gave it to Satan, and Jesus came and took it back. So we leave David, and we go, and the children of Israel, and they, they're rebellious, and, and, and God will reach for them, and they'll reject God and do idols and do all kinds of stuff. And so God says, we need to paint a real living portrait here, and he goes to the book of Hosea, and he has his prophet to marry a woman named Gomer. There's going to be something wrong if your woman is named Gomer, I'm going to tell you. Theologians argue whether this was literal or metaphoric. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The truth is the truth. Okay? 
what God's trying to get to us is the truth. You understand that there are things in the tr- that are true, but they're not factual. The prodigal son parable is true, but it's not a fact. It's a story Jesus told to bring the truth in a visual form. But it didn't literally... You, you understand? I mean, you understand what I'm saying, some of the parables. I mean, wh- whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter. Whether, oh, that's that guy or this. It, you're missing the point. The truth is what matters. And so he says, Mary Gomer, she's a harlot, and she's going to be unfaithful to you. And we go through this with her leaving and coming back, leaving and coming back. And he said it's a picture of the idolatry and the harlotry of the nation of Israel. And what does God do with the nation of Israel? You read Hosea 11, and it says, God says, you know what, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you read it, it's what it says, depending on the version, how clear it is in English. But what God says was, starts out in verse 1, I, you know, Israel, I knew you when you was a lad, when you was a young baby and a young boy, and I loved you. And I used my arm to feed you, literally spoon feed you. And so I'm not a man, and I'm not going to come at you with wrath and anger and vengeance. I can't do it but I'm going to show mercy and grace and you'll turn to me. That's what God does. And then we get to the New Testament. And what does God do? God says the world is in such a mess, the only way it can be saved is I have to become a man. And Jesus comes. And he becomes one of us so that he may save all of us. And we see the stories. We see see a woman... And, and she's been accused, oh, she has been maligned by more preachers than anybody I know in the Bible. She is the longest conversation that Jesus ever had with a woman. She's the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. In the Eastern Orthodox tradition of the church, that is the foundational truth of the church, she is a saint. She is revered. She has her own special day to be remembered she is a saint. Now, I'm not talking about no Catholic. I'm talking about Eastern Orthodox Christianity, Protestant Christianity. It comes four Sundays after Easter, the Orthodox Easter, which would make this Mother's Day in Ethan Orthodox the day that she would be remembered. She's been called a harlot and every other kind of person because she was married five times, living with a man, and... and You understand the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. The racism and all the things that would go on and they were despised. And and here is Jesus. And what does God do with this Samaritan woman? People surmise because she goes to draw water in the middle of the day that she's trying to avoid other people. She probably just ran out of water. Do you know that they didn't go draw water in the morning at daybreak? Do you know that tradition says they drew water, the women drew water in the cool of the day when it was cool and they would gather water in those jars and so when they awoke in the morning and their babies awoke and the house woke up, they had water to take care of the needs. And if they ran out during the day, a good woman would go get some more. And she just happened probably to run out around noon and she went and got some more. But oh, let American preachers get a hold of that. Oh, she's a harlot. She's a whore. 
because she'd been married five times. And we show our ignorance because a woman in the Bible was a property. Even a child had a higher state of social status than a woman. And a woman could be, you know, a woman had no legal right of any way that she could divorce a man ever. So the woman was married five times, but that means she was divorced five times. She didn't divorce nobody. And by the way, the law was that if you got caught being promiscuous and an adulterer, what did they do with that under the law? They stoned them to death. So how many offenses do you get? One. This woman was not no adulterous, sleeping around woman. I'd hate to be all these preachers when they get to heaven because she's going to be up there waiting on y'all. She's going to get... Call me a whore. <laughs> no, it's just ignorant preachers that don't know Jewish roots. And I don't mean that mean. I'm just tired of it. She was well respected, received by her city. Because when she ran into the city to tell them about Jesus, they all followed her right out there. They didn't see her as the village crazy woman. Or a crazy lady. She'd been divorced five times, and the only possible reason that they could have been divorced five times is because she couldn't have a baby. And a Jewish man, or any man, or Samaritan man, wanted that genealogy to continue. And, and, and another thing, I, I, I have to know she, she must was prudy. Because she gets married, she can't have a baby, that guy has to, brokenheartedly probably, divorce her, because i got to get a woman that can have me a child. So he divorces her. And then she, you know, another man said, well, I'll take her. You just don't know how to do it. And she, you know, I'll take, you know. And so he, that's how men are, you know. Come on, bro. I'm too plain this morning, I can tell. And so he, he, he marries her, same thing. Third marriage, same thing. Fourth marriage, same thing. Fifth marriage, same thing. I mean, she, we got, she got five men that wanted her. She was fine. Y'all can say what you want to. She was fine. They wanted her. Now she's living with a guy. Now you the one that's jumping to the bedroom in your head. Because that's how you think. All it says in the scripture, she's living with the guy. And the one she's living with is not her husband. That's all it says. That's all Jesus said. Jesus never called her a sinner. He never addressed her sin. He didn't deal with none of that. All he did was, woman, I know you. What, and what does God do with this woman? He sits on the well by, beside her. He sits on the well. He, he sits on the well. He talks to her. Jews didn't talk to women, not even Jewish women. His disciples come back from going to town getting some lunch and come back and they, the Bible says they're amazing. He's talking to a woman. And a Samaritan woman at that. They're, they're astonished. He carries on the longest conversation in the entirety of the Bible with the woman. It's with this woman. No other woman did ever Jesus talk to more than this woman in Scripture. She's something else now. She is very theological. She's educated. She knows the Scripture, and she knows her theology. And she carries on a conversation, and she, and she challenges him with his belief system. And Jesus loved it. <laughs> he loved it. He never rebuked her. He was never harsh to her. He never spoke down to her. So Jesus knows how to treat women. And so he spoke with her and she said, now you Jews, that's what she told him, you Jews say we've got to worship in Jerusalem. He said, the Samaritans, we say that over here, this is our mountain that we worship from. 
And uh, she just said, woman, he was saying, it's, it's not about a physical geographical place to worship. He said, you worship, but you don't really even know what you're worshiping. He said, I wanted to tell you that God is a spirit, and then that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And there will come a day that you will not say in this mountain or that mountain or this place or the First Baptist or the Methodist or the Episcopalian. It's not about that. It's about a relationship with a living father. And he said, that's what it's about. And, and, and so Jesus just literally says to her, I, I know you. See, imagine this poor woman. I, my heart goes out to her. She's been rejected five times by men. In that system, there's no welfare. There's no food stamps. There's no protection. If, she, if a woman ain't got a man, she's, she's dead in that society. And so she's living with somebody. Maybe she cleaned the place. I don't know what she did there. But she lived there, and, and, and she was respected in her city. I know that. And uh, she's living there. She's getting three meals maybe and a roof over her head. She's doing what she got to do. Jesus like, woman, I know you. I know the rejection you've suffered. I know what you've been through. I, I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what's happened to you. And I want to tell you, no one ever did that. I love you. And, he, he, and she said, I'm tired of coming to this well drawing water. He said, I'm the living water. If you know who was talking to you, you'd ask me and I'd give you a drink that you would never thirst again, girl. She said, Lord, give me that drink. She said, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he's going to tell us the truth. Jesus said, I am he. <laughs> this is your blessed day right here. I am he. You are talking to him face to face. This is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with you. Man, when she got that drink, notice there was no prayer. There was no sinner's prayer. There was no confess your sins. There was no repeat after me. There was no let's get baptized in the proper way. Life infused her when she believed it. She left her water pot, it says in Scripture, and ran to the city. And she said, come see this man that told me everything about my life. And yet he still loves me. And the whole city followed that woman. They respected her. They believed her when she said so. And they all came out there and they listened to Jesus and they said, you know what? He said, we don't believe him now just because you said, but now we have heard him for our own selves and we believe him that he is the true Messiah. Now, you know what happened to this woman that couldn't have a baby? She got healed that day. Now, this is all church tradition. So this is not scripture. You follow me? But it is, it is orthodox, it is written, they, her, her name was Philanio, it's a, it's a Greek name, and uh, you can Google it, uh, she, but she, she, they, she has her name, uh, she, came, she lived on to, to marry, and she had two sons. They both went crazy in the ministry. She was the first evangelist. Uh, it was not Stephen, it was her. She was the first evangelist. And she's recognized as the mother of evangelism. Uh, in the Eastern Orthodox uh, religion. That's why she's given a special saint's day. And, uh, and so she went and she evangelized with her two sons and her family. She had five sisters and them sisters all went with her. And that was a preaching family. And they witnessed everywhere, all in that, that region. She was sent by the spirit to Nero. Nero was a, a, a sadistic, murderous, uh, horrific person. I can't even describe. It would be too gross to tell you what he did to people. And it would be too gross to tell you what he did to her sisters and to her family eventually. Now one time he, they, they tried to, to, to hurt him and, 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 and they didn't hurt him. 
He tried to have their knuckles crushed so they would deny the Lord. And they would hit them with hammers and there would be no damage to their knuckles or pain in, uh, exhibited. And the soldiers, no matter how hard they beat, had no effect on their hands. And they did it in front of Nero and he could not believe it. He was incensed and enraged. Uh, I, I want too much time to tell the whole story of her life. In, the tradition has been handed down. But how she died was she was thrown down a dry well by Nero's soldiers. And that's where she released her spirit to the Lord. She died there. Isn't it something that she was thrown down a dry well when she had the living water on the inside of her? Amen. She died as a martyr. And that's why they gave her saint status. And she's just an amazing, amazing woman. Because, and what did God do with this woman? He sat in the well and talked to her. There's another woman that's caught in an act of adultery and thrown at the feet of Jesus. And what does God do? He kneels down beside her and starts riding on the ground. And, and, and he finally looks and says, woman, where's your accuser? She said, I don't have any. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You don't have to live like that no more. I give you the free gift and the power of no condemnation. That's what God does. There's another man that's got God's favor and promise, and he's, he's lowered down through a ceiling. Remember that dude? And, and they're in there. Jesus is preaching, plastered, fallen, dirt, whatever it was. Jesus stops preaching. They lower this dude in there. This guy is crippled. He is paralyzed. He can't walk. We don't know why he can't walk. We don't know if he was born that way, if he had an accident. But in that culture, if they saw a person paralyzed, they esteemed them cursed by God. And they said that, you know, even, and they would go back as far as 10 generations, that somebody 10 generations could have done a sin and it come out in that baby, and that's why he can't walk. That's what they believed. And that was the cultural belief. And so they lower this guy in. So Jesus says, what I'm going to do, and when God sees this guy, Jesus, when he sees this guy, God in the flesh, and what does God do? Uh, God looks at him and says, first thing I'm going to deal with is the curse issue. And he looks at him and says, son, your sins are, not will be, if you confess them. Not will be if you confess them. Your sins are forgiven. If, if sins have to be punished, there's no way Jesus could have forgiven that guy. Because Jesus hadn't been punished yet. He hadn't went to the cross yet. You see the point? The reason Jesus went to the cross is Jesus entered into death so he could whip it on our behalf. That, that, that's what he did. And they never, and, and the powers of darkness never saw that one coming. They, they didn't know that God would enter into death and defeat it and, and remove it. But so, so God looks at him, Jesus says, and sir, your sins are forgiven you. Your, son, your sins are forgiven you. A double enunciation that this is personal, this is you. you. This man ain't said a prayer. He ain't gone to church. He ain't said the sinner's prayer. He ain't said, Father, forgive me, I sin. He ain't said no hell marriage. He ain't done none of that religious bull. God just says, I don't need your permission to forgive you. And so you're forgiven. Period. Why is he forgiven? Because we all forgiven. You just don't know it. That's why you're living like you, because you, you don't know you're forgiven. And so he, he said, your, your sins are forgiven. Now that eliminates the curse. Now when he, Jesus said that, the eyebrows went up with the Pharisees. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out here. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus like, what's your problem? I am God. What's, what's, what's the issue? <laughs> he, he said, so that you'll know that God has the power. That I have it. To forgive sins in the earth right now, I say to you, sick of the palsy, take, take up your bed and walk. And right before their eyes, the power of God comes upon the man. He takes up his bed, and he walks right through the crowd and walks out. 
That's what God does. That's what he does. That's who this God is. See, when you just start going through the Scripture, and that's just a few I can think of while I'm holding the mic talking to you. But when you start going through the Scripture, and I left a ton out, but when you start going through the Scripture, and you put in that phrase, now when God looks at all the mess, all the problems, all the sin, all the junk, all that Abraham did, all that Moses did, all that David did, all that, and what does God do? He just keeps coming. He keeps loving. He keeps pursuing. He keeps reaching. He's, he's relentless. He won't give up. He, he, he just won't. And so, what did we do? We killed God, so to speak. We, we did that. The Bible says that over and over in the New Testament. We did that. We crucified him. And what did God do? And what did he do while we were doing that? He forgave. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's what he did. He wasn't vindictive. He didn't come with punishment. He forgave. Because he was on that cross and he took in himself our brutality, our violence, our hatred, our rage, our murder, our death. And he entered into death as the God-man. And he destroyed death. He went into Hades, which the word Hades means hell or the grave. If you say hell to an average American, they see a, a guy in a leotard suit holding a pitchfork. It's just ridiculous at the mess we believe in this culture of American culture that, that we've got from the Greeks, mythology. But we think it's gospel. That's not gospel at all. And Paul said to the Galatians, he said, you've heard people try to preach you a gospel, but he said, it's actually, it's not a gospel at all because it removes grace out. And he said, you have fallen from grace into the attempt that you try to live by rules and regulations and the law to, to, to become righteous. And anybody that does that has fallen from grace. Because grace is a high, lofty place because grace is not a theology or a teaching or a doctrine. Grace is a person, and his name is God, Jesus Christ. And that's why Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's the first time the word grace appears in the Bible. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Why? Because grace has eyes. Because grace is a person. You are saved by grace. You are saved by Jesus. He is grace. He is grace personified. He is grace manifested. The grace of God. Grace and truth appeared in Christ Jesus. He is grace and truth. And what does God do? And what does he do? Now that's a very different image of my father that I was raised on. And I understand if you're hearing this for the first time, you go, what is that guy talking about? If you'll just, you know, like the lady the other day that wrote in, my heart went out for her. There was nothing bitter in me. They go, what are you questioning me for? Hey, it's fine. And I pulled two articles from my website where I answered that question about forgiveness. And I explained 1 John, you know, chapter 2. Where the, only, the only passage in the whole New Testament is one verse. It seems to allude that you have to confess your sins in order to be forgiven. He's not talking to, to Christians there. He's talking to people in the verse above that said there's no such thing as sin. 
the Gnostics, they denied sin even existed. And he said, if you say you have no sin, you lie, for you make God a liar. For that's why God came to deal with the sin problem. So if there's no sin, there was no reason for God to come and the whole thing's a sham and a lie. He said, but if, you, if you're willing to confess, in order to agree with God that there is a sin problem, then God is faithful and just to forgive you of sin and remove all unrighteousness. God never calls a person that puts faith in him ever from that second forward unrighteous under no circumstances. They're not unrighteous. Because your righteousness is not something you achieved, it's something you received. Paul called it in Romans the gift of righteousness. So when you put faith in Jesus, you are 100% righteous from that moment forward, and you're as righteous as you will ever be. Even if you sin, it doesn't change your righteousness because your righteousness is not based on your performance. It's based on His grace. And that couldn't be wrote to, to sinners, I mean to, to uh, Christians, because it says that he would remove unrighteousness. That would be God calling a sinner, I mean a saint, unrighteous. And that, that's, 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 not, that's not possible. Hello? You see how quickly that stuff falls apart if people would just get out of a religious mind and say, what's the truth, Father? God will never give up on you. He will never stop pursuing you. And now I have such peace with even my own family, my own friends, people that I worry about sometimes, and I look at how they're living, I look at their life, and I look at the rebellion, and I look at the things that they're experiencing. But I, deep in my heart now that I have peace more than I ever have, I say, God got them. God got them. God going to pursue them. He's going to be relentless on them. I don't care what they do. They may have to build them a nasty-smelling pig pen, but God got them. God's got them. He's going, he, he's going to pursue them. He's going to seek for that sheep until he finds it. That's what he said. Amen? Stand with me, please. Hello? <laughs> Are y'all okay? Take a deep breath. It'll go down good. That's good. Just, man, I love you guys so much. I hope you can feel that. I'm sincere about that. I love telling you the truth. I love to see people like Phil would tell me today, he's at my house for a few minutes, and he was talking about, man, he tells them that stuff. He tells them the grace message. He tells them how much God loves them. He tells them they're forgiven. And, and they look at you sideways when they first hear it because that's not what they've heard. They've not heard the gospel, not the good news, but that's the gospel. Amen? And if you're hearing this for the first time, and you didn't know that that's how good it really is. And it sounds too good to be true. I, I, I get that. That's why it's called amazing grace. But all I'm asking you to do, I do believe we respond to that truth. I do believe that. I don't believe it's just automatic, you know, carte blanche. I believe you respond to God's grace in faith. And you say, Lord, my faith is in you. It's not my faith. It's your, my faith is I'm trusting in your faith, in you, your what you've done by grace we've been saved not by what I've done and you just say Lord I believe that Romans 10 I said everybody agrees that tells a person how to get saved and sin's not mentioned not one time it says just believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and with your mouth you confess righteousness and you're saved whose righteousness are you confessing his and there's no mention of the word sin why not it's a, it's a, it's a, because it's been dealt with. It's got nothing to do with you walking in the fullness and the life of God because you put your faith in Him. That life floods you. It's His life. If you got something better in sin, guess what? You won't want to do it. 
I sin less now on accident than I ever didn't sin on purpose when I was trying so hard. Does that make any sense to you? Father, we love you and thank you for loving us. Thank you for the grace of God that has appeared to all men for salvation. Thank you that your heart is not any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That their thoughts and their mind would change and they would know you as the true and living God of grace and truth and love and mercy. I pray you would open our eyes. You would help the scales of religion to fall from us and let our ears be open to the voice of our Father. For we are your sheep and, a, and, a, and you are our shepherd. You are our chief shepherd and a stranger we shall not follow. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will lead and guide us and all these that listen into the truth that is a person that makes them free and his name is Jesus. Amen. God bless you. I'll be down here if you want prayer or talk with me. God bless you. Please come back.